CTBK is more than just a full service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara community through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2020 and 2021 to keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400, and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you. Welcome to another edition of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic here with my usual co-host, Jonah Bronstein. Uh, should note that our other co-host, Matthew Fairburn, uh, since he announced it on Twitter, I, I feel comfortable in saying uh, and giving out some personal news that Matthew uh, had his first child recently and he has been off the grid uh, to be with his new son. Uh, and so uh, we brought in out of the bullpen a new co-host. He's not used to coming out of the bullpen, although he did a little bit, but we have, in case you don't recognize him, or I guess if you're listening, you, you can't see him, that he's been sitting here with a big smile on his face. Oh. 1985 Cy Young Award winner, Dwight Gooden. Uh, Matthew uh, is going to be impressed that we were able to, uh, to bring somebody of your caliber in uh, to help out. Dwight, thanks for doing this. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I appreciate that. Please tell Matthew, congratulations, and uh, look forward to seeing him soon as well. Um, well, Dwight, uh, I, I was interested in getting your thoughts because there are so many things swirling around New York baseball, particularly with the pitchers. Um, but I, as soon as I heard about SpiderTech and how much it improves RPMs, uh, and you were known and still are known, is one of the most wicked pitchers in baseball history. I guess I'll just start it this way. Have you, when did you first become aware of spider tack and what do you think would have happened if it was around when you pitched? You know, um, I came aware of it this year. Once all the talk started, uh, once you start hearing all the rumors, I guess it's, um, there's a clubhouse assistant when I first heard about him talking about his days in Houston, talking about Verlander and, you know, Cold and those things, so you start hearing it, but don't think nothing of it until it start, you know, spreading worldwide. And then like, wow, spider tech! I never heard of it. Again. And to be honest, quite frankly, I still don't really know exactly what it is. Um, it sounds like something else would be fun and definitely help with the grip and gripping the fastball. Especially in my time, I was only a two pitch pitcher. You know, fastball, curveball. Obviously, I changed speeds my curveball, and I was pretty blessed with you know locating my fastball. Um, so I'm curious about what it is and what I could have done with it. Um, I don't think, me personally, it's hard to really say, but I don't think it's that big of a deal for a pitcher. Um, I know it's a big fuss about it, the advantage. It seems like everything is for the hitters. I mean, hitters use pine tar, hitters use the main motor stick, um, all these different things to get grips to help them. So if a pitcher, if it's going to help them for his spin rate, uh, for his, you know, getting the tight spin on the 14 fastball, what have you, to me, I might be a little biased because I'm a football pitcher, but I don't think it's that big of a deal. But again, I don't have enough knowledge to really know what it is to say. Were you ever measured in terms of RPMs 
No, they never had that back then. Like you hear about spin, spin rate and all these different things. Back then, it was just a matter of making pitches, reading bat speed, and pitches are known for tight hitters. You know, you go into a stretch, to a hitter show, you have to make the difference, to make the changes. But then, now, it's so much like analytics, spin rate, all those different things, RPM, what you say, velocity is a big thing. There's so much to it now, and it takes away, for me, about just going out, pitching, competing, and making your pitches, and going with work for you, being aggressive and attacking hitters' weakness. What do you think about Major League Baseball not changing the rules, but changing their enforcement of the rules in midseason, and how can that affect a pitcher if you're relying on a certain grip and a certain circumstance, and then in the middle of the season you have to adjust to that? It's a big difference, in my opinion, uh, because these guys, they've been using it for a couple of years, or especially going to spring training, you've been using it, you're possibly using it with different pitches, and during the middle of the season, all of a sudden, it's taken away. It's a big adjustment because you know you got to make the adjustment again, whether it's your side deal, what have you, make the adjustment. I think, personally, I mean, obviously, we're not living in a perfect world, but ideally, you would like to have this take effect during the off-season. So guys have time make the adjustment or go to something else, whether it's in a roster bag, sweat, or what have you, when all season leading to spring training, opposed to doing it in the middle of the season. I think it's very tough and unfair to the pitchers. So, Dwight, let me ask you this. Uh, I'm sure you were around some pretty crafty pitchers over the years or uh, – well, heck, I'll even say this. In 1985, you did a commercial with Catfish Hunter – uh, in which uh, he uh, told you that you need to get the condensation off the diet Pepsi can uh, so you could uh, use it on your pitches uh, and uh, get a better break on your curveball, to which, well, let's just say you were a better pitcher than you were an actor in 1985. Uh, you, you, you told Catfish that it was illegal. What is the most illegal thing um, you were ever taught uh, regarding uh, what you could do or get away with on the mound? Well, I wouldn't say for his part, but I would say the closest thing to that, um, I'm pitching some games against Mike Scott. Um, obviously, Mike Scott was known for using the same paper, the same account. As we found out later, there was a catcher using the same guard or something, while well, Mike Scott never was caught using the same paper. Um, I remember just getting the balls, the same balls he was using. It was always stuffed in the same spot as he, you know, when he was using them. I would try to get him to do something. I couldn't get him to do anything. I don't know if I was gripping him right or what have you, but I just couldn't get him to do anything. I think that's the closest I ever came to doing that. And the other thing I would try is, um, like, sweat. I'll do sweat. Um, a little tap on the rosin bag and try to get it to a better grip. Um, it never worked. And then they say, like, home field advantage. And try to get in the umpire's room. The, the kid that works in the clubs, I mean, in the umpire's room, they rub the balls up before the game with some type of mud or what have you. I like to get them rubbed up dark. It's just a mental thing where you felt like darker the ball is the better it is for you. But hitters hit the ball as this is making. So now I'm trying to use that to manage to get the balls that rub up a little darker and get better. But some ballparks have balls saying they just came out of the box. They're nice and flake and you can't really grip them. So I understand the guys saw your grips, but some ballparks they have them rubbed up real good and some don't. So um it can be very difficult at times but let's say the close out of the is just making sure that at home, they had the balls rolled up a little I think it actually might be the microphone, uh, Dwight. Now, maybe I don't know if you can lean in on it or whatever, but we'll figure it out here. Now, now I'm making you do work. That's okay. Um, 
Are you getting some yeah. coaching there? Yeah, she handles all the technician. I'm terrible with technology. See, now it so. sounds great. A lot better now. Sounds great. Okay. Yeah. There we go. Okay. Thank you, Angel. Mel Stoudemire over there. There you go. <laughs> well, we call you Mel Stoudemire. It's a compliment. <laughs> yeah, do I get a baseball card? Uh, so, Dwight, um, now I've, I, I had a question. Now I can't think of what it was. That's all right. Uh, she helped us out uh, with, okay. with the audio. Um, why was Mike Scott able to get away with that for so long when everybody knew what he was doing? I think just my personal opinion and just hearing the rumors around it, we come to find out that Alan Ashby was putting on his shin guard. Um, so every time they take myself out and take his um, uniform, his belt and stuff like that, they never found anything on him because he didn't have anything on him. The catch was doing for him on the shin guard when throwing the ball back to him. So then we could never catch him. And it was amazing that like I, like I told you, my, my pitch gets my sky. There's a lot of times where the ball would be out on the mound that he used. I'll pick the ball up and it'll be a scuff in the same spot every time. So you knew something was going on. And he was a master at it. I really wanted to have him come up with it. I mean, that guy in eight, 1986 had an unbelievable year when he won the Cy Young and he had over 300 strikeouts and totally dominated that year in, in the playoffs. I mean, he beat me the first game, one nothing, And then the, I forgot what his numbers was the second score, but. That game six was basically our game seven because we didn't want to face Mike Scott the next night in game seven. So we had to win game six. You versus Nolan Ryan. Um, right? If I Do I have that right? Yes. I think that was game five. Uh, okay. Face Nolan, no, face Nolan at State Stadium. That was probably one of the highlights of my career because Nolan, was, Nolan and Pete Rose were my guys growing up as a kid. And going to get a show idle and going, you know, head to head for 10 innings. That was one of the highlights of my career from a personal standpoint by far. Um, uh, getting back to the spider tack issue, I guess I'll give the listeners some stats in case they haven't been following along, but uh, I know that there are a lot of Yankees fans uh, among those who uh, listen to the podcast. Uh, but since that June 3rd crackdown, uh, or I guess I should say before that, Garrett Cole, 1.78 ERA through 11 starts. 5.24 ERA in the six, six starts since the June 3rd crackdown. Aroldis Chapman, 0.41 ERA through 22 appearances, 18.90 ERA in the 10 games since. And, and this is outrageous. This is amazing to me. Absurd. In his last five and two thirds innings, he has allowed 24 base runners. Wow. Um, I mean, what do you, I guess, you know, Garrett Cole, it's not so crazy. I starting pitchers do go through some phases like that, but a role this Chapman through 11 games. What do you think he's going through right now, mentally or physically uh, when he is every time he's out there, he's just throwing gasoline on the fire. Um, sorry with um, Chapman. I think, and just my opinion, I watched him over the weekend against the Mets and you hate to see guys go through that. I played with, with some closers. I went through a similar situation, but not as bad as what he's going through now. I think a lot of times, it's, it's, most of it's probably mental. It could be a connection with the spider pack as well, of um, making adjustments. But watching him, I've seen like like a Pete Alonso, he had an 0-2. And he, he, he hangs a breaking ball. It kind of goes back to a couple years ago with a two being in the playoffs where he said, you know, Astros had the sun what have you. Same thing, he gets ahead. And he throws 100 miles an hour. And so if he throws his breaking ball 
and he don't locate it well or get it where he needs it, it's up. You want to hit a favor, especially if they're behind on the fastball and they're catching up. That's what I saw with Pete Alonso bat um, over the weekend. Got ahead 0 2, 0 2 fastball grip by him, hung the breaking ball. I mean, maybe because he couldn't get the grip he wanted on it or what have you. He was trying to waste it and hung it out over the plate. He hit the home run. And normally as a pitcher, I know he's supposed to do the same thing. You make a mistake or you go through something and you start thinking, uh oh, here we go again. But now all the negative thoughts come through your head and you start thinking negative. And guess what? Negative things do happen. And as a closer, once you get that, then you got Conforto, same thing, 0 2. And you hit him with a breaking ball, hit him on the foot or whatever, and then they open the floodgates. I think in my opinion right there, and you can't rewind it, when the pitch is going through that at that point, Boone probably should have took him out of the game right there because he had, you know, from a middle standpoint, you can see he's totally lost. He wanted Lonzo to hit the home run. He put his hands on his head. I tell you, your pitch was out there with no confidence at that time, in my opinion. You got to remove him. And I just think of a situation where if it is a spot attack, I don't want to say it is because I have no proof. If it is some kind of way, he's got to figure out and get his confidence back without using that stuff. Um, obviously, success brings confidence. Some kind of way, he's got to figure it out. Then a closer, he's got to figure it out quick. And unfortunately, playing in New York, you don't have that much time to go through Spanish one through to figure it out. So hopefully, it happens quicker than other. Um, I know him a little bit. He's a great guy, uh, fierce, competitive. So I like to see him get back on track, but he's got to figure it out quick. And um, of course, Gary Cole, just my opinion, he's too good of a pitcher. To say he actually needs the spider attack. Maybe he's accustomed to using it. I don't know. Or using some type of process. I know um, I watched his press conference. It sounds like he's probably using something, you know, to help him with his grip or whether it's legal or not. Um, illegal. But same thing. I think it just makes it a confident level where something you get accustomed to and you start doubting yourself that you can have success without using it. So he's got to find that same thing. But with Cole, I think he can bounce back a lot quicker without using it because he's a pitcher that has good command of his pitches for his location. Essentially, his velocity is up to high. It's just a matter of hitting his spots, getting ahead of guys, and bringing it out. His curveball is not – still is not bad. Maybe not as consistent as it once was, you know, early in the year. But he can get back to that. I think I look for him to find himself real quick. How do you feel about the way baseball has been evolving over the years? More strikeouts, more home runs, less emphasis on contact hitting – plays in the field, running the bases, things like that. Uh, Don Mattingly said it was, you know, unwatchable at times. Uh, how do you watch baseball and find it as entertaining as it was in the era that you played? Um, that's a, a great question. It is not. I talked to my nephew, uh, Gary Sheffield, we talk a lot. Uh, we grew up baseball fans. I mean, just loving baseball because my dad loved baseball. We grew up in the same house, and he doesn't watch it anymore. I still watch it. I'm still a fan. I'm a huge fan of baseball. I go to many games, City Field, Yankee Stadium. Even if I'm on the road, I can catch the game. I'm there. If not, if I'm at home, I'm watching games all the time. But it's not as entertaining as it was because, like you just mentioned, there's no more, you know, stealing bases. Guys are not making contact as much. They're not moving around with over as much. Um, no psych bunts, no hit and runs. Um, guys are not hitting for average anymore. Stolen bases are down. Just the strategy of baseball is taken out. To me, that was the difference between National League and American League was the strategy of the game, the double switch, the different things you do. Um, now it's base to base, swing for the home runs, or you're striking out. You know, a guy can hit two ten, but if he has three home runs, driving 90 runs, he had a great year. Um, strikeouts are way up. And to me, that's not baseball. I mean, that's not the baseball I grew up with. Might be a little old school, but I like the strategy of the game. Moving guys over. That's why I think, in my opinion, you see a lot of the shifts now, you know, with the NLA, everybody shifting over to this. Because guys are not using the whole field, 
where you have like a 20 win, he would today he will probably hit 400 because he has the ball over the place, same with what he blocks. Just a totally different game now. I think it's taken away from the from the joy of the game. It's a beautiful game, but it's taking it away. And it's probably the reason why we're, we're losing the youth to other sports, to soccer, lacrosse, basketball. I think this plays a part of it, you know, in my opinion, anyway. Um, talking to kids, they just say baseball is not as fun. Um, say when my youngest kid, he played baseball growing up, and now he's football, basketball. He thinks it's more excitement than that in baseball now. I think that's a big part of it. That's the way the game is switched, and hopefully somehow it gets back to just the basic stuff of baseball. Moving guys over, hitting runs, you know, stealing bases. That, to me, that's what that's the best of the game, especially it really shows a playoff time, the postseason, because you're facing the top three stars on that staff, and it's going to be low-scoring games. If you're waiting for a big home run or a three-run homer, chances are it's not going to happen. But the team that makes the most contact and move guys over and play defense has an advantage, especially in the postseason, for me anyway. Dwight, uh, there is at least one player that I know you love watching. We're recording this on Tuesday morning. He is scheduled to start for the Mets tonight. And that is Jacob deGrom. Uh, he's going up against the Brewers uh, at City Field. Um, I guess I just want to uh, ask you in this regard. Um, well, I'll stop there. I, I understand you have a ritual on days that Jacob deGrom pitches. Uh, can you uh, explain that? And, and this, I think, sheds light on how much you love watching Jacob deGrom pitch. Yeah, oh, definitely. Um, he's obviously... To me, must see TV. This guy's amazing, and I know him personally, and that brings more excitement to it. Um, the days he pitched, obviously, I have my calendar marked for every fifth day or every fifth game where I know he's pitching, and my day resolves around that. I'm not the greatest cook, but most of the time, I got my either my George Foreman grill going or my grill outside going you know, with, with a certain meal, my, my burgers and chicken. And if he pitches a great game, then I'm going to have a steak, you know, um, depending on how he pitched. <laughs> it's almost like he decides if I deserve to stake or not, depending on how he performs. <laughs> this year, obviously, he's got me overweight because he's been performing very well. But um, my whole day resolves around what he's doing and what he's pitching, and I love it. I love watching him play. It brings a lot of excitement, and we just look forward to watching him pitch. And like I say, tonight, my day's already planned around what he's going to do. I got all my, you know, running my errands early. So by 6 o'clock, I'm there. I'm watching the post-game stuff. That's how I like that his previous starts, and then, I'm 17 or what have you, I'll be right there in front of you watching the page. Well, how about that? I think that's a badge of honor that I can say that uh, an appearance on Tim Graham and, oh, I'm sorry, not an appearance, but filling in for Matthew Fairburn as co-host of Tim Graham and Friends, uh, brought to you by CTBK, was part of Dwight Gooden's Jacob deGrom errands <laughs> that you had to get out of the way, and you were able to fit us in today. That's even better. Oh, um, a lot of steak being eaten in the Gooden household. Uh, so, I mentioned this when I interviewed you uh, a year or so ago. Uh, the Athletic had a series on uh, where they asked its writers to um, uh, tell a story about, you know, their their childhood hero or the guy that really that they were really into. And I had the opportunity to connect with you at that time, and, and we did a story on on uh, your your relationship with fans over the years, what you owe them, what they owe you that, you know, it was, it was a good talk. I thought a lot of people enjoyed it, but I asked this question and you seem to be taken aback by it, but uh, baseball reference analytics say that your 1985 triple crown season is the greatest season for any pitcher after Walter Johnson in 1913 
uh, still stands. Uh, that's still that's still factual, uh, even since I asked you that question a while ago. But I mentioned that again to set this up. Jacob DeGrom's got a chance. Um, he's 10 and 4, 0.95 ERA, and in 85 innings, he has 136 strikeouts and only 11 walks. Uh, what is he doing? He clearly doesn't need the spider tack because his numbers have been strong. At one point, he had more RBIs than runs allowed. Um, I guess, how would you sum this up for, uh, for somebody who, uh, who doesn't watch baseball or doesn't get to see the Mets a lot? What is it about Jacob DeGrom that makes him so good? I think the way he's, his consistency, obviously, um, this guy, like somebody who don't watch baseball or not a baseball fan, but they love going to the movies, I would say it's almost like whatever movie comes out and it's the hottest or the biggest box, um, box office hit, a biggest draw, that's what Jacob DeGrom is every fifth day. He's the biggest draw. He's the biggest box hit, you know, and his consistency compares to none. As you mentioned, Walter Johnson, 1913, uh, myself, 1985. What he's doing right now, in my opinion, he's getting ready to shout out both of that, my 85 and the 1913. And I'm just honored to be watching this up close and personal every fifth day. Seriously, because this stuff only happens every, I mean, this doesn't happen every 10 years, every 20 years. This happens maybe every 30, every 40 years, what he's doing. Something very special. I don't know if he quite understands what he's doing right now because he's in the middle of doing it. He's probably just going out and just trying to win and, and compete and help the team, you know, be successful. Once his career is over, I'm sure he'll look back and, and say, wow, he put that tape in and watch it. He'll be amazed by it when he get to watch it with his kids and grandkids, what have you, and understand that. But for me and fans of the Mets and Jacob DeGrom, I think watching this, it's truly amazing. It's must-see TV. It's something that when he pitches, you plan your day, as I do, make sure you're ready to watch it because you know history has been made pretty much every time he takes them out in one form or another. How about – Shohei Otani, another kind of once-in-a-lifetime performance he's having as a pitcher and a hitter leading the majors in home runs. How impressed are you with his ability to dominate in, in multiple facets of the game? Oh, man, it's amazing. And I'll be the first to admit, he definitely proved me wrong because I've never seen anything like that. You hear about Beirut or you hear about certain guys that come close to doing that. Um, but for him to actually be doing it and having a lot of success doing it both ways is truly amazing. And and when he first came over, I said, well, man, this guy, I would probably make him a pitcher. I don't think he can hit and do both. And then you start thinking maybe he'll be a hitter. I don't know if he can pitch to that level. But now you're like, wow, he's having success doing both of it. And that's something else. But him and DeGrom's doing it in the same year. I mean, it's almost like they're taking away from each other a little bit because if there's only one guy doing it at this time, you'd be like, wow, this guy's unbelievable. And probably be on ESPN or NBA. I mean, um, uh, MLB. Or yes, yeah, been every night watching one another. But these guys are doing it now. I've never seen anything like this, and I was hoping that they get to face each other in the uh, All Star game. But at the same time, watching Otani now, I'm up late watching the games because you know West Coast. But I enjoy what he's doing and very successful. And I think this guy put it all together like he's doing now. But even has a chance to even get better on the mound and be more consistent once they figure out probably the in between starts. It's just truly, truly amazing to watch him. I wouldn't believe this if I didn't see it. That's for sure. I mean, he's leading the league and what uh, RBIs and home runs, and then he's got maybe a two-some ERA or a low three. Totally, totally dominating on both sides. 100 miles an hour and hitting home runs. You don't get any better than that. How hard do you think that is to be ready for his pitching starts when he's playing in the lineup every day? 
I think that's tough. I think that's a challenge right there for me. And I think we've seen it a little bit now. I was actually at this game last Wednesday at Yankee Stadium, watching the pitch when he with the runs. And it's not like his stuff is bad. It's just his location. And I think that comes with preparation between stars on working on, you know, your mechanics and getting all that stuff down. It's probably the only talent that he really has. His only weakness is um, maintaining the consistency of his mechanics because as a pitcher, it's all about being consistent and repeating yourself over and over to be successful in the mound. And I think being in the lineup every day, taking BP every day, working on your stuff, and then trying to pitch and get your side work in and different things is probably the only challenge that he has. But if anybody can figure it out, this guy's done it. I think he can do it some amount of time will come together because I know in, I think in Japan he had that extra day to do it, but now it's a bit shorter. And plus, you're playing against the best hitters in the world. So I like to see him figure it out and get a little bit better. And I think it's a, it's a lot of room for improvement for on the pitch mound. I think it's going to happen. Dwight, you were known um, throughout the 80s as a dangerous, dangerous hitting pitcher. In fact, you won a Silver Slugger Award. Um, and I just went and looked, and, and I'll be honest, I thought you had more than eight home runs. Uh, but the, over your career, by the way, not in a season. That is, I think that goes to show that the really good – now maybe I'd look up uh, Verlander or something like that. Obviously, the, the stats will be a little different. But you were – and Fernando Valenzuela, of course, he was another one too. Yeah. But to take a look at what Otani's doing, I think that that's a, just one more way to emphasize that even the the really good hitting pitchers. I mean, this is this is totally unheard of. I mean, since oh, yeah. Babe Ruth, really. Yeah, you're right. To put it in perspective, you're right. Because you look at that, and I thought as a pitcher, I thought it was a pretty good hitter. And a home run, I thought that was pretty good as a, as a pitcher. But then you look at his numbers, and you're like, wait a second. There's no comparison. You can't. I mean, he's doing, I don't know how you put that in perspective because this number is off the chart. I mean, to do what he's doing on both sides, it's almost like being the best hit on your team and the best pitch on your team. That's literally a high school stuff. You don't see that at this level. I mean, it's just amazing, especially when he came and going and this guy's doing it. He's doing it consistently. And he's making it look easy. That's the thing about it. I don't see him falling either way. And it's fun to watch. And it's amazing what he's doing. And he's steadily learning. That's the thing about it. This is his. I don't know what's third or fourth four year. Um, so this guy's probably gonna get better if that's you know, if that's possible. Same thing like the I remember um when he got his first Cy Young Award and not to go smoke up my horn, I presented him with his first Cy Young Award at the writers dinner. And I thought at that time, because he hadn't been pitching for so long, I said, this guy's even getting better. I didn't know he was getting this much better. So he for um definitely passed my um expectations, but I see that same thing with Tony. I think he's even going to get better as he goes. Uh, speaking of guys who can do two things, or maybe he – or do one thing that people didn't know about. I want to – before we let you go, I want to uh, let you brag about your son, uh, Dylan Gooden. Yeah. Um, he was a backup wide receiver uh, at uh, Good Council High in Olney, Maryland. Uh, he's going to be a junior. So he was just finishing up his sophomore year. He was a backup wide receiver. And then with two games left in the spring season, much like they had in New York, they had to play spring football this year. Uh, he switches Ooh. over to edge rusher. Um, he gets four sacks in the two remaining games. And now all of a sudden you're setting up unofficial visits with schools like, oh, Notre Dame, Penn State, Michigan State, uh, everybody. And these are offers, by the way. Already, he's about to be a junior. After two games, 
He looked that good as an edge rusher. He's 6'6", 200, so you know he's going to fill out some, especially when he gets in a college football weight program. They'll have him uh, a lot bigger. How do, you, how do you sum this up? Even as somebody who went through the whirlwind of scouting like you did, you have experience through this as a high school phenom. But to go from backup receiver to how many offers is he up to now? Oh, at least 14 or 15. Yes, um, one of them like the first one to go to Tennessee. Um, but just keep coming in. Like you said, a sophomore, I'm very proud of him, number one. Um, and the thing that's amazing was when he went to school, well, like when he played youth football, he played defensive end, his edge rusher, wide receiver, tight end, played different things. So we got the high school for some reason, he's going to play a receiver. I said, well, try to play them both. You know, I just want to be a receiver. So I didn't want to tell my kid that, no, you can't do it, or I think this is better. I said, okay, go ahead. But all through practice, I talked to this coach, uh, of course, that's another way a good counsel. He said, you know, this is a coordinator, really wants to go on the defense. He almost be a receiver, but we always had kids we could push. So I talked with Dylan a lot. I said, hey, play on balls, you know, they really want to defense. I think that's probably a better position. I was saying, play wide receiver, keep following your dream. But be ready for this event. I said, when opportunity come, you got to be prepared and you got to be ready. Go. So keep preparing yourself, preparing yourself. You never know an opportunity to come. And I kind of use philosophy what I had went to in 96 for the Yankees. I up 0-3. I got put in the bullpen. And I just kept getting ready. I had pitching coach Mel Stoudemire that working with me. And so when opportunity came, unfortunately, David Cohen got the aneurysm. That got me back into the rotation. Five starts later, I pitched in O'Hiller. So I told him that story there to get him ready. And the day he told me, he goes, Dad, I'm, I'm going to go play defense now. I was very happy, but I didn't see this coming, what he's doing now. Um, I said, good, because I know defensive end and edge rush is probably a better position. Obviously, he said earlier, we got to get some weight on him. Uh, and then watching him play and seeing him dominate those two games against top schools. And there's one guy who was a, um, a, a tackle, offensive tackle for St. Francis in Baltimore. This guy's a five-star player who's got a four-round two Penn State, and Dylan totally dominated him. I couldn't believe it. And I was very proud of him, but I said, but now, going into your junior year, you're not going to sneak up on anybody. You got to be prepared. How are they going to have you on film? So the difference is when you don't have practice, you don't have games, what are you doing to make yourself better? That's going to determine where you go with that. And I said, just keep fighting. And um, I said, very proud of him. He's in a good position now. This is what he wanted. Um, I always thought he was a perfect size for a pitcher, you know, 6'6", 200 feet, that's a pitcher. But football and basketball is a game, especially football. So proud of him and looking forward to him uh, watching him this coming season and seeing how far he goes. Now, did you play any football, or how did it get to be that your son developed into a football player? I played a little bit when I was younger, nothing like what he's doing. Um, I got my arm broke when I was 11 years old, and my mom said, son, that's it, no more football. <laughs> you know, back then, pitching you know, arm? Yeah, to me. Was it your pitching arm? No, left arm. Left arm, thank God. Um, I think Dylan probably – he probably got it from Sheffield, his cousin. There he was a great football player all the way through, you know, um, little um, common team, high school, he was a running back and a linebacker. He was just – I don't know, I wouldn't say just as good as baseball, but he had a chance to go to college and play football. So maybe he got it from Gary. I don't know. He definitely got football from me. Dwight, you mentioned being called out of the bullpen there, and, uh, and then you had a rough go. Um, get, after David Cohn was diagnosed with his aneurysm, you had a rough go there, and that is what, well, one of the things that made your no-hitter so special. That was 25 years ago. Yeah. Uh, but before I ask you about that no-hitter, I, I guess I just should, for the record, state, what, what's your 
best break coming out of the uh, uh, to to get out of the bullpen or to be called out of the bullpen? Is it David Cohn's aneurysm or Matthew Fairburn having son uh, to allow you onto the show? Oh, man, I like that. You're right. Um, I think that um, that's in '95, and <laughs> both of them was a good breaks. Um, you guys have on the show. You guys do a great job. First of all, and I love that. You also call a girl. I had a great thing. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, David Cohen getting any rhythm. You hate to see that. And I was in a situation where I started 0-3. I was basically bench. When a pitcher gets bench, I mean, you're not getting any game if you're up 10 or you're down 10. You're not getting any game. They're trying to decide whether we tune down to AAA or do we release him or what happened. And unfortunately, I just kept working. I had Mel Sotomayor, who was my pitching coach, and my prime with the Mets. Now he's my pitching coach again, so and a good friend. We just kept working on stuff to get ready just in case I get the opportunity to come out of the bullpen or what have you. And unfortunately, David Cohen got the aneurysm, and that was my last shot right there to go back in. And I ran off like eight great starts right there. I ran out of, you know, I got tired, physically tired at the end from missing the year before. But, um, if he don't have the aneurysm, who knows how my career turned out with the Yankees at that time. A lot of times, only thing is that one break, you know, even in life, you get that one off plane, you get prepared and mentally ready to take advantage of the situation. Any special thoughts or did 25 years bring you any kind of certain, uh, I don't know, uh, memories or make things any different in terms of the nostalgia when you realize that this was 25 years from – I don't, I don't want to say, is it your signature moment? Because think, your, your dad was ill and he was, he needed uh, to have surgery the next day and everything that, everything that was going on in your life. Well, at that time, definitely from a personal standpoint, as a player, uh, for, that was the highlight of my career. And that was the stamp on my career because everything is placed, you know, been out of the game for a year, um, starting off 0-3. My dad had been on dialysis for, you know, 15 years, going to have open heart surgery. All his organs and health was, you know, fading away real fast. And being able to pitch a no-hitter under those circumstances while I was supposed to have flew home that day to be with him before the surgery to give him some more support. But the pitch no-hitter right there, and then it turned out to be the last game he saw me pitch in. I passed away. He never made it home from the hospital. Definitely put a stamp on that. And that led to what we talked about earlier, to doing something now just to get back because so many people – Helped me through my career and even my post-career, through my ups and downs and different things. Even when I gave up on myself, a lot of people, a lot of family didn't give up on me and that kept me going. So I felt like a lot of people lost their life, doing a lot less than I've done, and I'm still here for a purpose. So now we started the Breaking uh, the Family Foundation just to give back and help those in need, those who need second chances, whether it's, you know, education or whatever it may be, um, just to be there and be a part of that, to show our support and to keep it in the family. So when I'm going, it goes on for generations and generations. I just giving back. And you told me also when I was very young that what's the purpose of having a life if you can't touch someone else? That's another life. And we just try to carry that message and just try to do whatever I can, you know, day to day. And that's the Dwight Gooden Family Foundation, which uh, is the um, the concept uh, founding uh, from your daughter, Ariel. Uh, yes. But it hasn't launched yet. So this is uh, a little preview for anybody listening. Well, I guess, can you give an example as to what type of uh, what type of causes the Dwight Gooden Family Foundation would like to lend its its name and, and resources to? I think the main thing, um, one of my focus would be because I'm part of that, part of that, um, the disease of drugs and alcohol, especially with the youth, I think somehow 
giving them a chance to live their life on a healthy note and help them and let them know that someone's there that cares, someone there can relate that we're not just doing something or giving money, um, something that I can relate. I mean, I see, I know what pain feels like, I know what pain looks like, and just giving back to that. That's one of my main, main focus is doing that. Um, then others is, you know, like you know, homeless, you know, kids or kids that may be suffering through different things, whether it's incarceration or maybe their parents, you know, drugs or incarcerated. Give them a chance and giving them, let them know that somebody's their care. Because I know a lot of times with kids, after talking to kids at schools and different things, a lot of times kids are used to everybody telling them, you should do this, you should hate here, you shouldn't go there, you should do this. A lot of times a kid just need an ear, just hear them out and see what they're feeling and know what they're doing and just let them know that there's someone that cares, someone that can relate to what you're going through and then want to be a part and help you get into a situation you can succeed. And then later on, you can share your story with somebody who may be suffering or going through the same thing that you went through as a kid. Dwight, you've never dodged these questions. Um, and that's one of the reasons I admire you now more uh, in your, when you're not wearing a uniform than I did back in the day when you became uh, my guy. Uh, you. A lot, and you, a lot of people's guy, right? I mean, you, you were the DeGrom before there was a DeGrom. Um, everybody's circling the calendar on the fifth day. In fact, Nolan Ryan used to make it a point to watch Dwight Gooden pitch. That's how good Dwight Gooden was back uh, in the mid to late eighties. Um, but, uh, there was, um, this happened after I interviewed you that first time back in November, 2020, you went before a judge and you had yep. been, um, gone through uh, probation and I, I don't have everything in front of me, but you mentioned that you, your most recent arrest, which I think was in 2019, yes. uh, how it changed your life. Yes. So how, what is it about that one that changed your life? that the other previous ones maybe were just speed bumps uh, that they didn't really, but for some reason, something took, I'll, I'll say for those, and for those who are listening uh, and not watching, you look great. Um, how, what is it about that? The most recent one that, that stuck. I think and the main thing that stuck was, um, I have to admit, cause like, and, and again, not to justify anything or just anything, but like normally like, Mostly in black homes, you grow up is men don't cry, men don't hug, men you don't share your true feelings. Anything going on, it's okay. You get over, you know, you know, tighten up, put on your man boots or whatever. This particular time, you know, obviously I got um, DUI, I got arrested, and I thought that I gotta get real myself. I had a lot going on in my head, a lot of stuff that happened as a child, a lot of stuff happened from whether it was depressed, um, different things. So I said, you know what? I told the judge, I said, I like to go to get mental health this time. So I've been to um, rehabs, I don't know, 10, 10 times. Um, they're good, but I understand. I just want to do something different. I understand that part. But there's got to be something more going on. When I'm, when I'm doing things for his, you know, getting high with his drugs and drinking and driving, that's not things I want to do. I wouldn't brought that way. I know I don't want to do it, but why am I doing these things? It's easy to say, don't do it. But it's got to be something more going on inside of me doing these things that I'm missing. I got to be missing something else. And again, I'm not justifying anything, whatever. So I went to High Focus, which is a, a mental hospital. I went there. Um, I had to put down all the ego, everything, and just deal with myself, with my inner self. And by going there, I found out so much stuff about myself, even at the age of 56 at the time. I'm still learning about myself and so many things and why things happen. And I found out there was a lot of things that, obviously, people have forgiven me for, um, God had forgiven me for, but a lot of things I haven't forgiven myself for. 
I was holding those things inside and I haven't dealt with a lot of stuff inside. I had to empty the tank and, and just get clean and just get rid of everything and not worry about how the council gonna take me or somebody gonna look at me differently or how I'm gonna be judged. And just find out and do it for myself. And I think by doing that and going there for a year, I learned so much about myself and it helped me put things in place where if I can change those thoughts in my head or different things, maybe it won't lead to drugs or drinking. Maybe I wouldn't, it wouldn't lead to going to certain places or hanging around some people I shouldn't. I had to cut loose a lot of family members, which hurts, and I can talk to them, but I know I can't be around because of putting myself in bad situations. And just getting honest with myself, I think by doing that, it gives me a chance to really get honest with myself and try to be quick, but at the same time, I still can't let my guard down. Um, July 23rd, if I get that point, it'll be two years, um, be clean and sober, and my life has been great. Um, great making sure my kids again. Um, just building that trust back and being accountable to them. And the most important thing is loving myself again. I always know how to make the next guy feel good or feel great. Um, just doing it with myself consensually. And then the other thing was, I think, with COVID, you hate to happen. When that COVID stuff happened, I think it gave me an opportunity. You couldn't go anywhere. There was no baseball. You couldn't go to games, which is always my outlet. I was forced to live with myself and deal with myself on a daily basis. And I think that probably was one of the best things that happened because I had no distractions of going anywhere or watching anything. So all the time and for that, even though it was a bad time, but it turned out to be a good thing for myself. And taking advantage of that and putting me in the position I'm in now. And I just want to maintain that now because it's best for the mental point that I've been in a long, long time. And I, and I love myself today. Dwight uh, Gooden will turn 57 years old uh, later this fall. Sorry to say it that way. Uh, but what I mean, uh, the, the teen phenom, the guy, as he was called on the cover of Sports Illustrated, um, has a lot of years left to live. Uh, Dwight, uh, to be uh, to 57 is a young man. And uh, it's um, I, I, it puts a smile on my face uh, to see a smile on your face. And uh, you're known and you've been known as that guy long, you know, back when you were playing, you were a pleaser. Yes, yeah. uh, the media, the media loved Dwight Gooden because he always agreed to an interview because whatever, an autograph or a handshake or fans. I mean, you were you never said no. And yeah. um, so uh, but you're still you still got a lot of that in you just because you can, like you say, love yourself. You haven't uh, you haven't gotten selfish as yeah. evidenced by the fact that you're stopping by this hole in the wall podcast. No, no, uh, you your, hey, I wanted to ask you, though, Dwight. This is my uh, this is my trophy behind me here. My my fantasy football trophy from uh, I don't know ten yes. years ago. It is okay. probably weighs forty pounds. It's made out of stainless steel. Have you in your life or your career ever won any trophy that looks this beautiful? I've come close. My World Series trophy is close, but not quite like that. <laughs> All right, I knew it. Oh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> oh, before we let you go. And Jonah brought this up uh, earlier. You pitched in Buffalo for a little bit. This show is this show comes out of Buffalo. We have a lot of people from Buffalo who listen. Okay. Uh, you were, I think, uh, with the Indians at the time. Yes. Any any re recollections of Buffalo that that stick with you? And I guess it should be known you sneak in and out for autograph signings out of Buffalo quite a bit. Yeah, definitely. You know, obviously, the easy thing. It's the wings. The wings on Buffalo. Buffalo wings. I'm making The wings there was awesome. And the people there was great. I mean, the fans there was great. 
Um, I remember giving up a home run to Vernon Wells. He was in AAA there. <laughs> um, I gave up a home run to him, and then later he had a great career. Those things that stick out the most. But even when I go there for autograph signings, always got to get the wings. I forget the name of the place, and I feel bad for that. But they also have a chain with a chain of other places, and there's one in the airport. But I can't remember the name of it. Well, that's oh, Anchor Bar. That's Anchor, Anchor Bar, Anchor, which is going to make – that's going to make the locals – that's kind of like saying McDonald's has the best hamburger, though, Dwight. Oh, oh. I'll tell you what. Better I'll than tell that. You what. Better oh. than that. It no. is be- Right. It is. It is. But it's kind of cliche. I'll tell you what, Dwight. Okay. The next time you come into town okay. for a signing, I know that you, you do shows in Batavia, but you fly into Buffalo and whatever. Yes. We'll do it on the down low. I won't make we'll, – we'll do it so that way, you know, there's not a lot of people bugging you or whatever, and I'll take you to a couple places uh, yeah. that'll, that'll change your tune. Is that right? Okay. I look forward to that. I got some number and stuff, so I'll keep that and we'll definitely do that for sure. The least, least I can do for your generosity here and uh, helping us out on the podcast. Um, oh, no. So I'm going to plug it one more time. And here's the other thing about Dwight. People are going to be like, oh, Dwight's making the rounds because he wants to talk about the Dwight Gooden Family Foundation. He agreed to do this, and right before we come on, he mentioned it. Yeah. I mean, so this is, uh, we were going to, I said, Hey, I want to talk about Dylan and his recruiting and how explosive. And then he mentions Ariel and what she's doing. That was, yeah. I mean, Dwight's just being a nice guy. Yeah. So that's right. Just giving back. That's all. The guy's always well, been there for me. So it's just my way of giving back. That's all. Very nice of you, Dwight. And uh, can't thank you. No- oh, Jonah, go ahead. I was just to say, you might want to bring Dylan up on an official visit to Buffalo just for the chicken wings. Even, there- even if he's inside. There you go. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Hey, son, like I said, trying to get some weight on him, so whatever it takes. <laughs> we can do that. <laughs> it, it, it sounds like Dylan might uh, uh, aspire at this point uh, to more than the Mid-American Conference. Uh, that's just a guess. Yeah. yeah. Do you have – okay. all right, last question for you. Is there, is there an offer that came that you're like, oh, my gosh. You know, because these are some pretty – you got Penn State, you got Notre Dame. Do you have – even though he's just about to be – he hasn't even started his junior year yet. Right. Is there as, – as a dad, is there, is there one that you're, you're looking at and thinking, man, that would be something special? Um, not quite. I'll give you a hint. I'm waiting for it, hopefully. And, and I appreciate all the schools, what they're doing and interest in doing. I'll give you a hint. I signed a little bit of intent to go to the University of Miami. So I'm a big Hurricane fan. Um, we haven't seen anything yet from them. Just to give you a hint. Well, it's going to be his choice, whatever he decides. But Maybe I'll, I'll send out the bat signal on this. Uh, from my days covering the AFC East uh, for ESPN, I do have a lot of Dolphins fans uh, on my Twitter feed. I'll, I'll mention it. You know, we'll get some. We'll get some push in Miami. Yeah. So let's see. Is- let's see the. Let's see if this podcast has any influence at all. I doubt it. But <laughs> let's see. That'd be something, though. And I'm sure it would be purely coincidental if within the next couple of weeks, Miami says, well, we have happened, to. You guys deserve all the credit. That happened, I, I have to give you guys the credit. For sure. 100%. Dwight <laughs> no, no. Gooden, thanks for doing this. I kept you, kept you for way longer than I thought we would, but you're, you're gracious with your time. And um, I hope we get to uh, see each other again soon. Sounds good. I'm a Hoyt, so it's Williams, too. So you don't get that easy. It, it's you know, a promise. Thank you guys for having me. It's a promise. So you got a great show, and, and thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you, Dwight. Thank you. Thank you. The financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. 
These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions.